John the Baptist had been preaching at the Jordan River in the wilderness for quite a while. He developed a following during his preaching. He found that people were now venturing out of the city and that there was a steady flow of curious people coming out of the villages to discover for themselves what this wilderness preacher was saying. John the Baptist had been preaching a revival message of repentance of sin. And central to his message was a water baptism that signified an extreme repentance, representing how those who received the message that he was preaching, they were dying off to their old ways and they were reversing course and orienting and organizing their life around the things of God. They were being spiritually revived in the ways of God that had been charted by their ancestors generations before. John the Baptist was preaching a revival message out by the Jordan River, and he had started to develop a following in a crowd. And people were coming out in droves to hear John the Baptist preach and to respond to his message by climbing into the waters of baptism themselves. And then one day, as John preached out by the river, it was a day like any other day. He was out there preaching, and his cousin... Jesus of Nazareth showed up. And John's preaching in that moment, as soon as he laid eyes on his cousin Jesus approaching, John's preaching shifted right there in that moment, and it was never the same from that point forward. He started at that moment three days of preaching directed at the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. The first day you'll find in John chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me, John chapter 1, the first day that Jesus Uh, was on the scene, John the Baptist began to preach to the Jews. That's in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And he started to quote and expound on the sayings of the Old Testament prophets about how a Messiah would come. And then the second day came, and John went even further and started to preach directly to and directly about Jesus. And that's where he said those famous words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that moment, John the Baptist brought the history of salvation to a boundary that he himself could not cross. Much like Moses in the Old Testament had led the people to the very border of the promised land of Canaan, but God would not permit Moses to cross over into that next chapter of redemptive history. John the Baptist had gone as far as he was able to go. He had maxed out his potential in the plan of God because he had identified the one whose whose shoe straps he was not able to loose. He wasn't worthy to untie or tie Jesus' shoes. He identified Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, his own cousin, as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that moment forward, John the Baptist was no longer increasing his popularity, but he started to decrease, and he started to give away his popularity, and he started to send people that were coming to him, he started to redirect them towards Jesus of Nazareth. Because it was time for Jesus to enter onto the scene. And on the third day of John's preaching there at the Jordan River, he finally directed his disciples. He had Not just a following, not just a crowd, but he had some devoted men and women who were disciples of his. And John the Baptist on that third day of preaching began to direct his most devoted disciples to stop following him and to start following Jesus. 
John chapter 1 verse 35 picks up this story and tells us this in the New King James Version. Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as Jesus walked, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard John speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to these two disciples, What do you seek? What are you looking for? What is it that you want? They said to Jesus, Rabbi, which being translated means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and see, or come and you will see. They came and saw where Jesus was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the 10th hour, it was about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. So now there's three disciples. There's Andrew and Simon Peter and this unnamed disciple that many believe might be the author of this gospel himself. It might be John, the beloved disciple. There's three now. And when Jesus looked at him, looked at Peter... He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or Peter. I want to minister from that passage this morning about that question that Jesus asked. What do you want? What do you want? Do you know what you want today? You may notice if you, if you still have your Bible open to the gospel of John, you may flip over to John chapter 1 verse 1 and you'll notice that the very first words of this gospel are in the beginning, in the beginning. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that the Holy Ghost directed John, the writer of this gospel, to pen those words to be the very first words in this account of the words and deeds of Jesus Christ because it's meant to call our attention back to the very first words of the Bible. John, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know it well. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as the story unfolds, and I won't go all the way to Genesis and tell the whole story of the whole Bible this morning, but as the story of Genesis unfolds, man sins and there's a division between him and God. And God enters into the habitation of man and starts walking through the garden, searching for man, and asks that very first question that we find in the Bible. God asks, Where are you? How many remember that story? God's looking for Adam and Eve, and he asks them, where are you? They had hidden themselves from God because of the shame and the guilt that they felt that was associated with their disobedience and their sin. God went looking for them and he asks, where are you? John chapter 1 verse 1 starts off with those very same words and are meant to call our attention back to the original story in Genesis. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning. And then just in that same chapter, as the story progresses, Jesus starts to gather some of his very own disciples for the first time. And he's, he wheels around and asks them a question. The very first words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of John are that question. What do you want? God has a way of asking good questions, doesn't he? God has a way of asking questions that cut directly to the heart of what we're going on, what's going on and what's happening in our life. And the very first question in Genesis and the very first question in John are a lot alike. Because it's God's question that opens up the door for us to respond to an invitation 
to follow him and to start being like him. I've been talking recently some about feeling versus knowing and how we're in a world that's dominated by feeling and how people can seemingly, they can turn their life completely around just on the basis of a feeling and how dangerous that can be and how we have to establish some things that we actually know for certain. It's important to know some things. I'm not talking about having a high IQ or just having a a lot of accumulated knowledge. I'm talking today about knowing some things as in you must have some convictions that are unshakable, some things that you've settled. Otherwise, the first strong feeling will blow its way through your life and you'll get an emotion that causes you to turn on everything that you have built your life upon and it's not healthy to do that but that's exactly what the world would try to have people do today these men that left the discipleship of John the Baptist and started to follow after Jesus they didn't start to follow Jesus because they had a feeling that something was special about him They left everything and they attached themselves to Jesus because they came to know something about him. Just survey with me the first chapter of the Gospel of John and look at the different titles and designations that John packs into this very first chapter. He calls Jesus Messiah, the prophet, his given name, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, the chosen of God, rabbi or teacher. These are all titles and designations that in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it isn't about feeling something about Jesus. It's about knowing something about who he is and what he's about. They call him Christ or the anointed one, the son of Joseph. They call him a Nazarene, the son of God, the king of Israel. And the son of man. Right there in the very first chapter of the gospel of John is an almost index of the New Testament descriptions of Jesus. There isn't another chapter in the New Testament that tells us and that lets us know so much in one chapter about who Jesus is. Is And it's a signal to me today that when you see these two or three gentlemen follow after Jesus and leave everything behind and attach themselves to him, that feelings are not the foundation of following Jesus. Following Jesus is about knowing something about him and being compelled. There's something irresistible about this man, Jesus Christ. He's different than anyone else I've ever been around. The interactions I have with Jesus are not like any of the interactions I have with other people. There's something special about him. I know it for myself and I'm going to follow him. I know it is a simple thing today, but I pray somebody this morning will catch a revelation of who Jesus is. And allow that revelation of the identity of Jesus. That he's not just a teacher. And he's not merely a prophet. He's not a philosophy. He's not an ideology. He is a person. He is God manifest. He isn't isn't God junior. He is the God manifest in the flesh. And he is still calling. He's still. I said he's still calling us today. If you've been following after him for many years. He's still calling you today. If you aren't following him. And you're looking for something to put your life in into. Jesus is calling you. 
I wish that that revelation of Jesus Christ, of who he is, would sweep you into the presence of God today. That there would just be a supernatural, a gravitational pull of the Holy Ghost that would lead you into the presence of God today. Because in the presence of Jesus, everything can change. Everything can become different. You can become a new creature when you attach yourself to the teachings and the ways and the spirit of Jesus. What do you want today? What do you want? There are some people here today that you're looking for something real. You're looking for someone to follow. You're looking for a way of life that the world isn't offering. It isn't offered on cable news. It isn't offered on the radio. It isn't offered on the internet. You're searching for something that's real, that's authentic, that has meaning, that has purpose to it, that isn't going to drag you along for a little while and then just turn up empty. And my prayer for you today is that you would place a foot on this foundation of the life of a disciple, and that is the identity of Jesus Christ. Let me talk for a moment to the person that's sitting back this morning and maybe you're waiting on something good to come out of my mouth that's worth amening. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the most important thing you can know for sure in this life. I said the identity, who Jesus is, is the most important piece of knowledge that you can ever come to know in this life. Let me prove it to you. Matthew chapter 16 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said to Jesus, Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is how powerful this revelation is. This is why this is so important that you absolutely grasp the identity of Jesus Christ. He said, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, on, on what rock? On Peter? Not so much. On the revelation of who he is. On the, re on the revelation of my identity as the Son of God, the God manifest in the flesh, I'm going to build my church on that revelation. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. And he said, Peter, because you've got this revelation, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm preaching this morning about something that's powerful, and that's that the church is built on the identity of Jesus Christ. People knowing who Jesus is is what builds the church. When you know him, you're changed by him. And when you're changed by him, you become like him. And when you become like him, you're unstoppable. I said when you become like Jesus, when you start to take on the characteristics of Jesus, you become an unstoppable spiritual force in this world. Because the scripture says that the one who knows who Jesus is and attaches themselves to him and says, Jesus, I'm going to learn your ways and I'm going to become obedient to everything that you have to say about my life. That person, the scripture says, hell can't prevail against you. Death doesn't scare you anymore. 
If you need something in your life that needs loosed, you can loose it. If something in your life needs to be bound, you can bind it. You can start exercising spiritual authority. Brother Dustin, where does it begin at? It begins at a recognition that Jesus is everyone, everything that he says he is. And it's very powerful whenever you get a hold of that revelation. Knowing who Jesus is, is powerful. And that foundation of knowing who he is, is what sent these disciples on a journey of faith. The scripture tells us they started to walk behind Jesus, and that was the custom in those days. They would, they would, the traveling, they were, Jesus wasn't the only traveling teacher. It was kind of a model that was popular back then. And whenever someone would find a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi in those days, if they wanted to uh, become a part of their community, they would literally start to follow them around. And they would walk around, and, and they would get in their footsteps, and they would follow them from place to place and location to location, and, and they would hear their teaching. And, and to be a follower, to be a disciple of somebody, was to be a learner of theirs. But in those days, you, it was also to be an adherent. It was that you, you gave yourself over to the teachings of this individual. And this recognition of that he wasn't just an ordinary teacher led them to say, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to follow this man called Jesus of Nazareth. And they started to follow him and they were following close enough to be covered in the dust that was kicked up from behind him as he walked. And verse 38 of John chapter 1 says, Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? Jesus really... Jesus didn't really speak to them until he saw them following. Has it ever registered for anyone else besides me? Jesus didn't talk to these guys. He didn't really speak. They may have heard his voice in conversation. They may have, they may have picked up and been in his presence. But it wasn't until they started to follow him that Jesus actually spoke to them. I'm not here to build a doctrine out of that and advocate that you can't hear from God until you are fully following Jesus, but I think there's something significant. I think that until you, dis until you get a revelation of who Jesus is and you start to follow him with everything that you have, I think you're just nibbling around the edges of what God wants to do in your life. I think any kind of presence that you feel of God, any kind of voice uh, that speaks to you, any kind, of, any kind of word that you have from God. I believe you're just really just nibbling around the edges of what God wants to do in your life. But when you really receive a revelation of who Jesus is and say, he's not just an accessory to my life. He's not just an optional add-on, but I'm going to release myself from everything else that I have, and I'm going to fully attach myself to him. It's in that moment that Jesus will turn around to you as well, and he'll speak directly to you. And most of the time, when that moment happens, here's what's going to take place. And it doesn't just take place one time. I think it repeats itself over the course of our entire life of following him. He asks this question, what are you looking for? What do you want? It's almost like this question jumps off the page to us and into the hands of every person that reads it and hears it. This is the question that you must answer if you're going to start following Jesus. Because there's 
There's more than one way to answer this question. What do you want? It's kind of an open-ended question. Have you ever asked that question to somebody and didn't get an answer that you thought you were going to get? There's more than one way to answer this question. Jesus asks them, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? They might have said, I want to have the right opinions and the right positions on spiritual things, and, and I think you're the guy to really give them to me. I think you're the guy that's got it all figured out, and I want to be equipped to win all the religious debates and all the spiritual conversations, and uh, so I, I want to hear what you have to say, Jesus, and, and I, I, I want to learn from you. They might have said, you know, I, Jesus asked them, what do you want? They might, may have said, you know, I want to be one of those early adopters. I want to follow Jesus before it was cool. And I want, to, I want to get in on the ground level of this thing because I see that you're fixing to start a movement. John, was, John the Baptist is yesterday's news now. You're the next one coming onto the scene, and I want to jump on the bandwagon before anybody else. I want to get in on the ground floor and uh, adopt this early and be right in the middle of everything you're doing. And I want to stake out a prominent place in the kingdom of God because I know if I get in right now, Jesus, Andrew say, can you imagine Andrew saying, Jesus, I know if I get in today, if I follow you today, I don't want to wait a day and, until someone else jumps line ahead of, in front of me. I want to get in today because I think that in doing so, maybe I'll guarantee myself a good spot at the table. Maybe I'll get a prominent place in the kingdom of God. But they answer Jesus' question with a question. There's a lot of ways to answer that question, what do you want? They answer Jesus' question with a question. They said to him in the last half of verse 38, Teacher, where are you staying? Their answer was, Jesus, I want to go where you're going. Jesus, I want to be where you're at. I want a place and a time where I can be with Jesus. And that's the right answer. Because look at how Jesus replies. He could have said, you know, he could have said, ah, you know, take that somewhere else. Get that out of here. Get that out of here. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm trying to round up all the smartest, brightest, most skilled, most wealthy, most influential people. Get that out of here. You just want to hang around me and chit-chat around. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus heard that they wanted a time and a place just to spend time and to be with him. And what was Jesus' response? He says, come and see. Come and see. Come, come and you will see. The psalmist writes in Psalm 34 and expresses the very same truth. Not with the sense of sight, come and see. But the psalmist writes and says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When we come and see, when we answer that question, what am I looking for? What are you looking for today? I know it's quiet right now, but when was the last time you slowed down and, and took the AirPods out of your ear and took the headphones off and turned the screen off, turned the radio off, and really asked, what is it that I want? What do I want? What's my heart's desire? When you start to grapple with that question and you can arrive at the place where you say, you know what, there's nothing in my life worth more than Jesus, that's when things can start to change. Because Jesus will say to you as well, come and see. 
seeing how good Jesus is, how right he is, how kind he is, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, changes everything. Peter must have remembered that day in John chapter 1, the day we're talking about today, when he wrote the words of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 This same Peter, many years later, writes these words. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking, laying aside all of those things, all the ways I used to do things, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you lay it aside and follow after the Lord with your whole heart, And ask yourself that question, what do you want? I want the pure milk of the word. I want what they want. I want time and a place to be with Jesus. I've tasted and I've seen and I found something that's of so much worth that I'm willing to drop everything else. Like the psalmist says, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I don't want position. Jesus, I I don't want a miracle. Jesus, I don't want power. I don't want fame. I don't want status. Jesus, I just want you. You're what I want. I want to be where you are, Jesus. I want time with you, Lord. I think there ought to be a sound that reaches heaven today. Let's lift up our hands all over this place of some saints who desire one thing. If there's somebody that just loves Jesus, why don't you let a sound come from heaven, up to heaven right now? Say, Lord, you're what I want. I've been grappling with that question this morning, these last 20 or so minutes, Lord. What, it, what is it that I want? What am I looking for? What am I searching for? What is it that my life is pursuing? And Lord, I testify with my own voice right now. I want you, Jesus. I want to be like you. I want to be with you. Come on, is there one who would say one thing I have desired of the Lord and that will I, is there somebody who will say I found something that's worth losing everything else for? It's worth more than my job. It's worth more than my career. It's worth more than my degree. It's worth more than my, my, my relationships in this life. It is the ultimate. It is the number one thing. It is what I am looking for, what my heart desires. I want to be with Jesus come on there's nothing more fundamental than what we're doing this is the stepping stone of faith right now because someone needs to move into that territory where Jesus is calling them and saying come and see there's things I want to do in your life greater works than these shall ye do but first you have to say I want to be with you Jesus and Jesus will say come and you will see come and you will taste that I am good that there is no one like me that there's no one better than me Oh, we sang that song, Jesus. There's something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something 
about that name. There's something about that name. In John chapter 4, as the musicians come, in John chapter 4, there was a woman that was headed out to a well in the middle of a hot day. I want to pause and say thank God for air conditioning this week. She was headed out to the well to draw water in the middle of a hot, 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 scorching afternoon. Jesus and his disciples, some of these same disciples that left John the Baptist and started following him, they were passing through the territory. And in fact, Jesus made a point to go through this territory. He says, I have to go through Samaria. They didn't understand why. They made it as far as the outskirts of town and realized they didn't have any food to eat. And Jesus said, I'll wait at the well. You, you fellas go into town, do what you feel like you need to do. So they go off into town and Jesus is by himself at the well. And that's when he encounters this woman who's coming out on this scorching hot afternoon to draw water in the middle of the day. As she arrives at the well, she's surprised to find somebody there because her entire purpose in coming out at this time of day was likely to just avoid human contact. And anybody, anybody ever go to the store and just, I just need to go in the store and get out of the store and get on back to the house, okay? I like people, but sometimes I just need to get, get in, get out, get on back to the house. She's in that mode when she's going out to the well. She's not really looking for conversation. She's not looking for company. She gets out to this well, and she's there and meets Jesus. And the reason she wasn't looking for company, the reason she's even coming out at this time of day in the first place is because there's this overwhelming sense of shame in her life. She's become something of a social outcast because her relationships have, none of them have gone right. Everything about her relationship life has gone very, very poorly. She starts to talk to Jesus. Jesus initiates the conversation. He says, hey, why don't you give me something to drink? And just by Jesus saying those simple words, which feel like nothing to you and me, Jesus was crossing the barrier of a, barrier of a social norm that wasn't crossed in those days. Because she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. And these two groups of people, they didn't like each other. And they did not associate with each other. And so Jesus asks, why don't you give me some, draw me something to drink out of that well? And they start to have an interaction. Jesus starts to tell this woman about not just regular water, but living water. Living water. That if she'll get a hold of this living water and drink of this living water, that she'll never thirst again. Jesus isn't talking about some kind of magical liquid. Jesus is explaining to her that there's a way of life that I want to invite you into. It doesn't have to be the way that it's always been. You don't have to operate in survival mode anymore. But I want to give you life, and I want to give you life more abundantly. Jesus is explaining this to her, and she, she's kind of incredulous and just kind of like, ah, you know, who's this guy at the well? What in the world? He's talking about this living water. And then Jesus starts to open up her private life and tell her things about herself that he had ne she'd never told him. He had no reason to know. She started to, he started to tell this woman about how she'd had five husbands. 
she was on number six right now. The man that she did know was staying with, wasn't her husband at all. And her eyes started to be opened that this man at the well wasn't just a traveling teacher. He wasn't just another rabbi that was gathering a following, but this was someone entirely different. He started to tell her about true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him in John chapter 4, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came back from town, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? You see that same question? Same question just a few chapters before. No one thought to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you looking for in having this interaction? What do you seek? No one thought. It's not very often that the word of God includes something that someone didn't say. Amen? Most of the time, it's what people did say. But here, the author of this gospel, the, and, and inspired by the Holy Ghost, is writing and telling us this story and ex describing this interaction to us and in a remarkable detail that doesn't often make its way into the Bible. We aren't just told what they did say, but we're also, we're, our attention is drawn to what they didn't think to say. No one thought to ask, Jesus, what are you doing here? Jesus, what are you looking for? Why are you talking with her? And the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men and the people of that city, come and see. Come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Is that overlap again? Not only here at the end of this story, this powerful story of this woman at a well, do we get reminded of that question that Jesus asked his first disciples, what are you looking for? What do you want? But now we've got the woman that he met at the well going back to town, going back to Samaria, and using the very same words that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 1. She said, come and see. Come and see this one that I found. Come and see this man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. In this reversal of how people were coming out to see John the Baptist at the River Jordan, and then his crowd started to decrease as he sent people to Jesus. Now this Samaritan woman is going into the city and drawing people out to the well, the place of water where Jesus is at, and saying, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. He told me everything that I, everything that I never told anybody, everything I try to keep locked up on the inside. He's here. This is the Messiah. He's the hope of the world. What do you want? Simple, but very characteristic of Jesus. These disciples, his original disciples, were following at a respectful distance, and I don't know if they were shy, Brother Joe, or if maybe just the ice hadn't been broken yet, but they were following Jesus kind of at a respectful 
distance and Jesus turns around and speaks to them and asks them that question. What do you want? It's very characteristic of Jesus, isn't it? He helps them out. He meets them halfway. He made things a little bit easier on them. They may have not known how to initiate and Jesus turns around and initiates for them. The woman walking to a well in the heat of the day trying to avoid all human contact Jesus made it easy on her Jesus met her there and struck up a conversation with someone that didn't really want a conversation to begin with but that's just how Jesus operates isn't it today whether you're actively following after him or you're doing your best to hang around the edges and the fringe I have a promise of God for you today as we all stand. The writer of the book of James says this, draw close to me and I will draw close to you. That's what Jesus does. And this morning, no matter where you're at, whether you're actively following after him, you're just not sure how to initiate or whether you're more like the woman at the well and there's some things there's a storm going on inside your life and there's things going on that you don't want to reveal to anybody Jesus is wanting to meet you today and he's not going to embarrass you or make a spectacle out of you but lovingly he wants to meet you where you are and he wants to start a work in your life can we lift up our hands in this place right now and just receive that promise from God that if we'll draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. These altars are open right now. I wish.